Okay, folks, we're in uh, Lesson 19 this morning, and we're going to be starting into Chapter 12. Just going to be looking at uh, the first 11 verses of this chapter today. Now, I want to remind you that we're talking about a letter that was written to Hebrew Christians who were thinking about contemplating giving up on their faith in Jesus Christ because of the severity of the persecution and the struggles that they were facing. And they were thinking about going back to the Old Testament way, to to the Old Covenant, simply just going back to Judaism. And so now, the author is getting ready to give them his final warning, but he wants to make a realistic plea to them. He wants to make a plea for realism for them. He wants them to take a realistic approach to what they're facing and the difficulties that they're struggling with. And I think it's very applicable to us because, you know, if you've been in church a long time, you will know that there are people that as soon as they face some sort of difficulty, some sort of struggle, um, they immediately assume that God doesn't love them anymore, and they give up. They just say, forget it, I'm out of here. Maybe it isn't just one event, but maybe a series of events will bring them to a place where they are ready to forget the faith, walk away from it, walk away from God. That actually is happening quite a bit today uh, in our country. So I think this is a very applicable passage. So... What we're going to do is is we're going to basically break it down into two parts. We're going to see an admonition. We're going to see where he is encouraging his readers to do something, and that's in verses 1 to 2. And then we're going to see a a plea for realism in verses 3 through 11. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 together and see what uh, the author wants us to see. Notice verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's look at this together. First of all, I want you to notice, he's going to talk in the first part there about a cloud of witnesses. A cloud of witnesses. Now, if you've been around in church for a while, sometimes you'll hear speakers talk about this cloud of witnesses, that there's this cloud of witnesses that are... Uh, watching what you're doing. They're, they're cheering you on. They're encouraging you. You maybe heard it in terms of all of your loved ones who went on to be with Jesus. They're up there watching what's going on in your life and they're encouraging you. They're, they're in this, they're in this grand arena watching you. And that's the implication that some people take of this text. That is not what he's saying here. That is not at all what's going on here in this passage. So, Let's talk about what he's saying here. First of all, the writer tells the readers that they are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. Okay? We see that, obviously. So who who is this cloud of witnesses, George? 
who is it? If it's not this arena, if it's not this concept of these folks who are just looking after me and cheering me on in heaven, who is it? Well, the cloud of witnesses refers to the testimonies of faith in chapter 11. We just studied this last time, that there is this great witness of all of these believers who went on before us, even in spite of their struggles, and they were able to finish well. They were able to finish because of their faith. Their faith. And so if you think about it, think about the witnesses that we have before. Some of them, it should be an encouragement to you, because maybe you're here and you're thinking, oh, I've given up, I can't do it, you know, I've I've messed up. Think about what this the, the testimonies are in chapter 11 of the testimonies of faith there. Men like Noah, a drunk. Men like Abraham, a liar. This isn't my wife, this is my sister. Tells a half-truth. Men like Jacob, a conniver, a schemer. Men like Moses, a murderer. David, a murderer and an adulterer. We go on and on through this list that is in chapter 11, and we see there, these are human beings who fail just like you and I, but what they are commended for is their faith in God. This is the testimony for you and I. This is the testimony. This cloud of witnesses is the testimonies of chapter 11, how these folks even in spite of themselves, put their trust and faith in God and what is to come. And that's our, that, that is the cloud of witnesses for us. So the writer, here's what he's doing. Because of this, the testimonies that we have in chapter 11, look at what he's telling us to do here. The writer urges readers to lay aside any weight or sin that hinders our lives. So if you think about the struggles that these guys had, You and I are encouraged to lay aside the stuff in our lives that trips us up, that hinders our walk with Christ, that hinders us from doing what he wants us to do. We're to take that and lay it aside. We're to to deal with it, repent of it, and move on. He's urging us. He's telling us, because of this great cloud of witnesses, you keep on. You lay aside the stuff that's hindering you in your life. You keep going on. You keep going on. And so then he also tells us the the reader is called to run with perseverance the race that is before us. The reader is called to run with perseverance the race that is before us. Now, here, I want you to write this down. I want you to write this down in your notes. I want you to think about this. Oftentimes, the Christian life is compared to a race. And I think that's a pretty good analogy. But here's what I want you to understand. The Christian life is not a 50-yard dash. It's a marathon. It's not a 50-yard dash, sprint to the finish. It's a marathon. It's long. You're going to have problems. You may stumble. You may fall. But you pick yourself up and you keep going to the finish line. It's a marathon. And so he's telling us here is that you need to be running with perseverance in spite of what life has to throw at you, and life will throw things at you. 
You will face difficulties. You will face struggles. In fact, that's what he's going to be talking to us about in, in this in this chapter, is that suffering is very much a part of our lives. So you just keep plugging on. You keep plugging on in your life. You keep enduring. You keep enduring. So here's where our focus needs to be. So as I'm running, as I'm enduring, as I'm persevering through this race, where does my focus need to be? As we run, we are to look at Jesus. As we run, we're to look at Jesus. Where my focus needs to be is not on myself, because if I look at myself, I'm going to be discouraged. I'm going to see myself as a failure. I'm going to see all my weaknesses. I'm going to see where I've fallen short. I'm going to be discouraged from the race and think there's no way I can do it. There's no way I can do it. Where he's telling us to look to is rather look to Jesus. Look to Christ who has already finished the race for us. Who holds out the promise of what is what is before us if we would just continue on, if we would just endure to the end. We're to look to Jesus. And notice now, he tells us about this Jesus. Jesus is the one who pioneered our faith and who perfected the way of faith. He pioneered our faith. He is the author of our faith. The faith that you have in him is because Jesus is the one who established it. And he's the one who perfected it. What do you mean perfected it? He's the one who died and was resurrected. That's our hope is in the resurrection that is to come for us. He is the firstborn of a new creation. So he is the author and perfecter of our faith and the way of faith that we have. So he endured the shame of the cross as he kept his eye on the throne he would be given. So he endured the humiliation, the brutality of the cross, and he kept his eye on the throne that he would be given later, that he did receive. The honor. That's the admonition. Keep plugging on. Keep plugging on. So then we get to verses 3 through 11. And he's going to tell us that we need to be realistic. He's going to plead for realism on our part. He's going to tell you and I to be realistic about our life. So let's look at what he says there. Verse 3. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted in, to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons, my son. Do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son Whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom the father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not? much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For indeed, for a few days, for they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them. But he, for our profit, 
that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All right, let's take a look here. First thing he's going to tell us to do in verse 3 is to consider Jesus, to think about Jesus. So the writer is, the reader is called to think about the suffering Jesus endured. So you and I need to think about what Christ endured for us. In fact, I would say that's a good exercise period. We can get so used to being a believer and living our lives daily that we can forget what Jesus Christ endured for us. So he's telling us to think about the struggles that Jesus endured for us. Think about that. He goes on and says, this will help the reader to endure in the midst of his suffering. So as I think about what Jesus has suffered on my behalf, that's going to help me to endure the suffering that I'm going through in this life. And let me just stop for a moment. Jesus told us that that would be the case. He told us that if the master suffers, so much more will the the servants suffer as well. We're going to suffer as well. We're going to endure pain in this life. Our Lord did. We will too. We will struggle. We will have to deal with the reality of that suffering in our lives. And that's what he's calling us to here. He's calling us to the reality that we got to think about what Jesus went through and realize that that's going to have to be an encouragement. We can't grow weary because of the struggles that we go through. Now, the problem is, here's the problem. We've all embraced some sort of prosperity theology in this country that says that if you love Jesus, if you're going to follow him, everything's going to be okay. That's a flat-out lie because everything's not going to be okay if you are a follower of Jesus You're on a path, on a road of suffering. And we need to realize that. And so really what he's telling us to do here is, is look, think about Jesus. That will help you to endure what you're going through, what your struggle is, what you are facing. So notice now when you get to verse 4, he says something here that's very interesting. He says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, what in the world is he talking about here? Well, the resistance he's talking about here, or the struggle, the struggle here does not necessarily refer to a personal struggle with sin. So what he's talking about here is not necessarily your personal struggle with sin. Or it can be read that way, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's not talking about you and I personally struggling with sin. That's not what he's referring to here. He wants them to be realistic about what they're enduring, so he's going to make a point here. Striving against sin, in this verse when it talks about striving against sin, striving against sin appears to refer to sinful people as in verse 3. If you look back at verse 3, it talks about Jesus enduring shame at the hands of sinful people, from sinners against himself. When you get to verse 4, when he's talking about striving against sin, it appears that he's referring that we have not yet struggled against sinful people. To what point? 
Well, the writer states that his readers have not endured suffering to the point of death. He's saying, yes, you're, in, you're undergoing hard times. Yes, you are enduring struggles. But the reality is, is you haven't faced martyrdom yet. You haven't paid the ultimate price yet. You haven't paid, you haven't faced the ultimate sacrifice for following Jesus, and that's giving up of your lives. So he wants them to be realistic. Yes, you're going through hard times, but it's not to the point of where you're dying for it. It's not to that point yet. It's not to that point. So he goes on, and he's going to change what appears like he's changing the subject. He wants us to get realistic about what's going on in our lives. And it just seems like when you get to verse 5, all of a sudden, it's like the topic switches. So now that he's talking about chastening, and you're sitting there thinking, gosh, George, I thought we were just talking about suffering. Now he is talking about chastening. Why the switch? Well, the reality is, is he's not switching the topic. He's going to give you another perspective of why you endure the suffering that you endure. Have you noticed that? That seems to be a common question today. Philosophers wrestle with it all the time. You and I wrestle with it all the time. Why do we have to go through the stuff that we go through? Why do we have to endure the pain that we endure? Well, the writer of Hebrews is going to give us a perspective on that issue of suffering and the hardship that we face and he's going to refer to it as chastening. Now, what is chastening? That's a, it's a nice Bible word. What does that refer to? Well, if we, if we want to talk about what it refers to, it refers to the issue of discipline. Well, what does that mean, George? Well, it, it refers to the issue of being taken to the woodshed. What, what does that mean, George? Well, it refers to the issue of being whooped into shape. And that's really what he's going to be talking about here. He's going to talk about in verses 5 through 11, the discipline, the chastening of God's people, whipping God's people into shape. So he goes and he, first thing he does in verse 5, look at what he says there. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. What's he saying there? The writer points out that they have forgotten the biblical exhortation concerning suffering. It's not just the readers, it's you and I. We've forgotten the biblical exhortation concerning the reality of suffering. Concerning the suffering of sons, the reality of being a son or a daughter of Christ. So he goes on here, and here's what he says. The writer quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, where the reader is called to not where the reader is called to not react to suffering. The reader is called to not react to suffering. So you and I are called to not react to suffering or the chastening of God or the discipline of God. We're not to react to that. That's what Proverbs is telling us to do here. So the passage tells us, the passage tells the reader that if we are the children of God, that if they are the children of God, they will be chastened. The passage tells the reader that if they are the children of God, they will be chastened. So here's the reality. If you are here and you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you have committed your life to him to follow him and you are a child of God, the Holy Spirit has entered into your life, 
The reality is, is that you are going to be chastened. You are going to be disciplined. Nobody here is exempt from that if you're a believer. You are going to be disciplined by God. You're going to be chastened. You're going to be whooped into shape, you could say. Now, why? What does what does chastening reveal? We see that in verses 7 through 8. Through suffering, God deals with his children. The way that God deals with us is through suffering. He turns up the heat, so to speak, in our lives to get our attention. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that when there's an area in your life that needs to change, that you need to deal with, and you're not paying attention to it, you actually are quite comfortable with it, God's not comfortable with it. And so he begins to turn up the heat in your life. And a lot of times you don't really need to wonder why is this happening to me. You already know. It's because of this one area in your life that you know that is displeasing to God. God's going to deal with us, his children, about the stuff in our lives that is displeasing to him. The stuff in our lives that needs to change. He's going to deal with us continually. So... Here's what it says. All of God's people suffer. Therefore, no suffering reveals that you are not a child of God. Did you hear that? All of God's people suffer. That's the reality. All of God's people suffer. But therefore, if there's no suffering in a person's life, that reveals that they are not a child of God. That's so contrary to what we're hearing today, isn't it? What we're hearing today is is that everybody should be okay. Everybody should. In fact, we ask this. If somebody's going through it, what, what was the sin in your life? Why is God judging you? Because if, if you were okay, this stuff wouldn't be happening. That is not true. The, react, the reality of the fact is, is that every one of us, if we're a child of God, we're going to suffer. We're going to go through problems. If there is no problems in your life, if there's no suffering in your life, is probably revealing the fact that you don't belong to God. That you aren't a believer in Christ. Because if you are a believer in Christ, your path is going to be filled with suffering because he has a purpose for suffering and bringing chastisement into your life. In fact, he goes on and wants us to think about the issue in verse 9 about what chastening does. First of all, he, he gives the perspective of a child who is chastened by a parent. I think all of us can re- reflect on that. He said, chastening by our parents resulted in respect for our parents. You know, one of the things I think about when I grew up is that I had a lot of respect for my dad, what my dad told me. I did what my dad told me. The reason why I did that is because I had a healthy respect for my, the fact that my dad disciplined me. I think all of us here realize that. My dad set up boundaries and he enforced them and that resulted in respect from my part for him. That's what the author is saying here. And so the writer asks if our chastening should not result in submission to God. So here's the reality. He's saying, you know, if, if you who are human are being chastised by your human fathers and you end up respecting them, shouldn't you therefore respect God when he chastens you? 
Should it not result in you submitting to what God wants to do in your life and what he wants from your life? That's the point he's making here. That's the response that should happen. So then in verse 10, he's going to tell us the purpose of chastening. Why do we go through this? Why do we have this struggle? Why why, why do we have to go through it? Well, here's what he said. Our parents disciplined us for a brief period as they knew best. Again, reflecting back on that human trait there, is that parents discipline their children the best they know how. That's the point that he's making that hasn't changed. When you discipline your children, you're disciplining them the best that you know how to do that. That's his point here, is that you're that they're doing it the best they can to produce character in the child. But here's what God does. God disciplines us for our benefit so that we may be holy. This is why we go through it. This is why he disciplines us. This is why he whoops us into shape. Because he's got a greater perspective. He, you know, our parents only disciplined us as best they knew how. God knows how to whip us into shape. God knows how to discipline us. God knows how to chasten us to produce the character in our lives. And so he does that so that you and I would be holy. That's It's the process of sanctification here. He's talking about being sanctified, of becoming like Christ. God, you know, here's the thing. You and I, we're, we get comfortable with the way we are. Even our, our spouses can tolerate the way we are, because after a while they just kind of give up trying to figure out how to change us. So we just kind of, they kind of live with the way that we are. Well, the problem is, is God doesn't like to live with the way that we are. He wants to produce something in our life. He wants us to deal with the issues that we're struggling with. He wants us to change. He wants us to deal with the attitudes. He wants us to deal with the sin. And so, He's going to bring about in our lives circumstances, situations that are painful, that are going to produce in our lives the godly character that needs to take place, that are going to make us holy before him. And that's what the author is saying there. He's going to do these things to bring us to that place for the purpose of chastening. So then he goes on and he says this. Here's the nature nature of chastening. Here's the nature of suffering. Here's the nature of why we go through this. All chastening is painful for the moment. I think all of us can agree with that. Any type of discipline, any kind of thing that we go through, all suffering, it's painful for the moment. It's hard. We don't like it. But here's what he says. However... It produces the fruit of righteousness in those who are instructed by it. What that pain does, even though it's uncomfortable to go through it, what it does is it produces in us character. The fruits of righteousness, the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, if we learn from it, if we, we, if we are instructed by the difficulties that we're going through. In fact, isn't that what James talks about? James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Listen to what he says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There, James gives us another perspective. Again, the reason why we go through difficulties is because God is wanting to produce in us maturity, perfection. And how that happens is by allowing these difficult circumstances to come into our life, to discipline us, to whoop us into shape. And so that's what he's talking about. He's talking about you and I being realistic concerning what we're going through. Don't toss in the towel. It's so easy to want to toss in the towel. How many people have we known that have tossed in the towel because they didn't understand why we go through the things that we go through? And I think that's been missing today in North America is a theology of suffering. We've just assumed that everything is supposed to be good. Everything is supposed to be rosy. But we're to endure to the end. We're to have hope for the end. That there's something far better than here. Now, next week we're going to progress right along into chapter 12. Uh, we're going to look at verses 12 through 29. And uh, there... He's going to tell us some things, first part of that section, he's going to tell us some things that we need to do. He's going to give us some things that we need to accomplish in our lives. But then he's also going to give another warning. He's going to give a final warning to to us, his readers, to the readers there concerning the issue of throwing in the towel, of forgetting the new covenant and embracing the old. So we're going to look at that next week.